Our text for this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But before we read, I invite you to take just a moment of silence to prepare yourself for the reading of the Word of God with all of your faith and with all of your doubt to just enter into a moment of silence asking that God might speak to you through the witness of Scripture this morning. Listen now for the word of the Lord to us this morning. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him. Or he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy God, be gracious to us as we have come seeking a word which only you can give. Be gracious to our seeking. And take my words and amplify them so that they might bear witness to your liberating and reconciling word. And take all of our thoughts, transform them so that each and every thought might be held captive to Jesus. And then take our lives and fill us with your Holy Spirit and sweep us out from here into the world that you love and have called us to serve. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I sincerely believe that there are no dumb questions I want to believe that. Um, But I do think that there are wrong questions. And uh, questions that, when answered, they don't actually lead us anywhere significant. There's plenty of examples, plenty of examples of these kinds of questions all throughout the New Testament. Mostly these kinds of questions come from Jesus' own disciples. Uh, You know, questions like, which one of us is the greatest? Uh, That's a question that's going nowhere. Uh, or like when they asked Jesus right before he ascends to heaven, uh, is now the time that you are going to restore uh, the kingdom to glory? Is now the time where essentially we're going to rule, where our nation's going to be great? Most of the time that we reflect on this text, this is the, the divine love command, the dual love command, we focus our attention on Jesus' response. And as a general rule in reading the Bible, that's a pretty good, that's a good rule. Uh, But before we get to Jesus' response to this question, I want to just invite us to reflect a little bit on the question being asked by this lawyer, this uh, kind of religious professional. He's He's a theologian. So if we give our attention to this question kind of at all, normally we do it while rolling our eyes, right? Because we know who's asking. We know we've been well versed that the religious authorities in the Gospels are kind of the villains, and so we kind of like, oh, here, they, here he goes again, asking a question, trying to trick Jesus. Uh, and so we, we just kind of assume that this is the wrong question to be asking Jesus. At least, I don't know about you, but this is how I've kind of traditionally read this text. We're told that, that this lawyer is asking Jesus this question to test him. But the verb doesn't mean that he's trying to trick him. It's a confrontational verb, 
but it doesn't mean that it's, there's any animosity that, that, that is shared between them. And this confrontational tone, I think, shouldn't, shouldn't signal to us that this is the wrong question. His question, his question boils down to essentially this. What do I need to know in order to live the good life? What do I need to know in order that I may live the good life? Maybe this question surprises you. Maybe if you had a moment with Jesus, this would not be the question that you ask. Maybe, like me, you, you kind of roll your eyes like, here goes the Pharisees, you know, asking about the rules again. You know, if I had a moment with Jesus, I would ask something more theological. I heard a philosopher share a story a few years ago, an antidote that I think is really, really interesting and bearing uh, some of the tension out in this text. He tells a story of a Jewish community that is seeking refuge from persecution. And so they go to Vatican City and Vatican City welcomes them in. And days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months and months turn into long years, years probably like 2016. And, uh, you know, they're kind of wearing out their welcome. And the priests and those who reside in Vatican City, you know, are thinking like, maybe we could ask them to leave. And so they go to the Pope and they, you know, it is Vatican City after all, Pope. I mean, could we ask this community to maybe seek refuge elsewhere? Now the Pope uh, doesn't want to just kick a community seeking refuge out of Vatican City. Uh, and so he says, okay, well, I have an idea. What I'll do is I'll invite the chief rabbi to a debate. And if I win the debate, we can ask them to leave. If the chief rabbi wins the debate, then they can stay. So the priests are like, oh, that's a great idea. Pope's a great debater. I uh, got this one in the bag. So uh, they go to the Jewish community, they ask them, you know, the deal, here's the deal, and they agree. The one problem is, is that there is a language barrier between the two communities and the two leaders. And so they don't want to use interpreters because they feel like, you know, something would be lost uh, in that kind of translation. So they, they decide to use the age-old uh, language of sign. So they both agree to this. And they, uh, they set a time to, to have the debate. And the, the chief rabbi enters into uh, you know, this grand cathedral. And the, and the pope is sitting up there in a chair. And they begin the debate. And the pope goes first. And the pope holds three fingers up just like this, just to begin the debate. And the rabbi, kind of already knowing, like, totally you're going to start with this, uh, holds up one finger right back at him. Pope is, you know. Okay, got that one. Uh, so he, he starts to circle his, his finger around in the air, just like this. And immediately, the chief rabbi points to the ground. The pope's like perplexed, like this guy's got uh, kind of like prophetic insight as to what I'm going to be uh, doing here. So he goes and he, he grabs the chalice and the bread and he brings it to the rabbi, uh, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And the rabbi, almost prophetically knowing what was to come, reaches into a, a, a crumpled brown paper bag and pulls out an apple. And the debate ends there. And they go out, and the priests gather around the pope, and they're like, oh, what happened? And the pope is just defeated. He's like, that guy won. I mean, he had an answer to everything that, 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 uh, that I said. I mean, I started and I said, you know, God, God is three. God is the, the trinity. And my chief rabbi friend reminded me, yes, but, but God is one among three. And so then I, I said that, that God is transcendent, uh, above us, ruling down, looking down on us, other than us. And my rabbi friend reminded me, yeah, but God is in the ground. God is in my neighbor. God is here with us now. 
And then I, I thought it would seal the deal. I went and I, I got the chalice and, and the bread, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The second Adam. And my chief rabbi friend pulled an apple out of the bag, reminding me of the first Adam. He won. He won the debate. And so uh, he goes, uh, the, the Jewish community gathers around the chief rabbi to hear you know, from him how it went. And he is just frustrated beyond, I mean, he is, he, he is riled up. He says, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I, he, he, started, he started with, you've got three days to leave. And I said, not one of us is leaving. And he said, well, we're going to round you up and get you out of here. And he said, we're staying rooted to the spot. And he said, well, well what happened next? This is, this is, you know, this is disappointing. This is crazy. And he said, well, that was the most frustrating thing. Then we broke for lunch. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home. Um, the tension that this kind of like bears out from this story, right, is that, that the standard tension within Christianity and Judaism is that Christianity is somehow more theological, more abstract, and Judaism is, is more concrete, more grounded. But I want to say that, that this tension is actually present even within Christianity itself. We have just celebrated Christmas. Actually, we're still celebrating Christmas. It's the eighth day of Christmas, even now. And Christmas is the time that we uh, celebrate when God in Christ forsook heaven to come and be with us, took on human flesh, the vulnerability of human being, to be with us and for us, reminding us that all of our descriptions about God, all of our theologizing are all in service to the here and now. The incarnation of Christ, the Christmas miracle, reminds us that, that how we live our lives deeply matters. It's always amusing to me. You might have seen in the, in the New York Times a couple, uh, I think last week, uh, a, a popular pastor interviewed with a, a popular columnist about um, kind of uh, doubt and faith. And it, it, it's, it, it, it ignited a, a Twitter storm of people arguing about is the incarnation or the resurrection the most important part. And it was, it, was, it was crazy, right? And we talked a little bit about this on, on Christmas Eve. That both of these are important moments in Christian theology. But this tension is at play within Christianity itself, which means that this, this question that the lawyer is asking is not the wrong question. It's in fact the right question, and it's a good theological question. And I think that it's a question that each of us, whether we know it or not, is actually asking. What is the good life? What is the good life? For centuries, this has been a central question for cultures as well as religious and political communities. What is the good life? But I fear and I wonder about whether or not the sheer pace at which we modern folk live our lives, if we're just distracted, we're not even asking this question at least explicitly to ourselves. I've shared this with some of you, but a few years ago I read an article with Randy Zuckerberg, or um, from Randy Zuckerberg, I think it was an interview, and she's the sister of Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg. She's also a, a successful entrepreneur. And uh, she was describing what she called the entrepreneur's dilemma. And uh, she listed five things, family, faith, or family fitness, uh, friends, work, and sleep. And she said the entrepreneur's dilemma is that you get to pick three of those. So if you want to have a career and a family and a friends, like you're never going to work out and you're never going to sleep. If you want to take care of yourself and have rest and, and work out, 
you're going to have to choose between a career, family, and friends, right? And I don't think that this is just the entrepreneur's dilemma. I think many of us could identify with, with that dilemma. Feels like we're just spinning our wheels all the time. I don't know about you, but having to pick between, pick three out of those five options does not sound like the good life. That's not the vision of the good life that I have. We are standing at the edge of 2017, looking into it. And we have the opportunity to, to start again, to make some resolutions that hopefully will guide us throughout this year. And 2016 was a doozy. Uh, I mean, regardless of where you stand on something, like it, was a, it was a crazy year. Uh, it was a long year. And as we head into 2017, we need to be, before we make our resolutions, which I think are great, um, before we make our resolutions, I think we should begin by at least asking Jesus a form of this question. What is the good life? And what we might find is that Jesus has a couple of questions for us. I heard a story recently about um, this ancient master teacher named Akiva. You might know this story. Akiva lived a couple of thousand years ago. And uh, one night he was walking home and it was very foggy and he missed the turn to his village. So instead of turning right to go to his village, he turned left. And this road uh, led him to this uh, very large Roman military outpost. And as he's like kind of approaching this military outpost, he hears some rustling on the wall. And sooner or later, a guard, Roman centurion, yells down to him, who are you and what are you doing here? And Akiva is kind of pauses, doesn't really know where he is. And, and he, he says, what? Um, and, 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 and the guard yells back down to him, who are you and what are you doing here? And Akiva pauses. And then he asks, how much are they paying you? And then there's silence. And the guard yells down like, what are you talking about? Who are you and what are you doing here? And he asks again, how much are they paying you? So the centurion says like uh, 20 denarius or something. And Akiva responds, I'll pay you twice that to come to my house every morning and ask me those two questions. Who are you and what are you doing here? As I've reflected on that story, started to think about who am I? What am I doing here? I'm a father, a, a, a husband, a friend, a son. I'm a pastor. One of the things that I'm doing here is trying to lead this community to help us all understand what it is we say we believe when we gather every week and say the thing that we believe. To kind of cultivate in this community the right love of God and neighbor. To try to search for God in all things and the raw material of our lives. I'm also uh, a resident of this city. I'm a, a citizen of this country. And as I'm in that role, I'm hoping to bring some good news to the people here, to unite with other leaders seeking the common good of the city. How would you answer those questions? Who are you? And what are you doing here? As you're thinking about how you might answer these questions, Consider how Jesus responds to the lawyer. His response to the lawyer's question tells us, I think, at least two very important things about human being. 
The first is that human beings are basically bundles of love. We're just bundles of love. Before we think, before we believe, before we rationalize anything, we love things. We desire things. Our love carries us around in the world. Following Jesus is much more a matter of desiring and loving than knowing or believing. The best way to to kind of figure out who you are, what you're doing here, is to pay attention to who and what you love. So as you reflect back on 2016, who did you love? What did you love? How did that shape you, form you? As you look forward to 2017, who will receive your love? What will receive your love? Jesus is after our desires, our wants, and our loves much more than he is our thoughts and our beliefs, our doctrine. The second thing Jesus' response teaches us about human beings is that to be a human means to be directed, oriented towards some final good, some ultimate end. Human beings are on a quest to find and live the good life. We are creatures who are concerned with ultimate things, whether we know it or not. It's not a question of whether or not you are looking for the good life. It's which version you're looking for. Everybody loves something ultimately. Everybody loves something ultimately. The only choice you get is what you love. The point that Jesus is making here is that you love anything other than God ultimately, it will eat you alive. It will destroy you. If you love power, if you love um, influence, and that's what you love most, you'll be afraid. You'll be insecure. And sooner or later, that love of power will turn to love of domination. If you love money and things, if that's what you see as the vision of the good life, I guarantee you will never have enough. If you love your body, beauty, sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. If you worship your intellect, if you love your intellect above all things, being seen as smart, you will always feel stupid. Always feel like a fraud, an imposter waiting to be found out. If you love your theological or political system, most, you will defend it for the rest of your life, making sure that you're certain about it, and it will eat you alive. The point about loving God ultimately is that God is the only thing, the only person, the only being worthy of receiving our love and not destroying us. Instead, God returns our love to us as transformation, as resurrection. Who are you? And what are you doing here? These are the questions that we find along the way on our quest for the good life. How will you answer them in the year 2017? Pray with me. Holy God, be gracious to us this year.
form our loves for you and for our neighbor and for ourselves in a way that won't destroy us, but will transform us. And be gracious to us as we attempt to follow you into this new year. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.